Enoa. 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 Music is like. I am Diana So. I'm born in 1984 in Singapore, and I'm a composer. Hello, Dianeso. Hi. Is humor, craziness, an important part of your writing? Um, not always, but yeah, it's craziness probably all the time. Humor, not always. I think, not always. Where does it come from? Life. If you take life too seriously, it's short. <laughs> Which sensation are you feeling while composing? I think when composing, at least for me, it feels like it's a problem-solving exercise. So um, you always have musical problems that you want to solve, and and you want um, like a final experience for whoever's coming to listen to it, and you want all that to coincide with your concept and with your um, intention of the piece and everything that you want to say. So you're you're pulling um, you're pulling things out of your toolbox um, in order to make that happen. So there's no like one feeling. It could happen like you could feel things. You know? Yeah. How would you describe your music then? That's like the hardest question to ask a composer, I think. Um, Why? Yeah. Because I don't, I don't know. I think like adjectives are, are very poor descriptions of of the sensation of music. And uh, we can only go so far as our understanding of the language and of the word. So we're actually using a different medium to talk about something that we should actually like feel or experience or think about. And um, it really doesn't do justice. So it makes it really difficult when it's such a wide question, like how do you describe your music? But I had a friend, he, he gave a really good description uh, once. He said that um, contemporary music is a little bit like um, like visiting a zoo when the animals are in heat and having a highway around next to you, which is pretty much that. Yeah, that was really funny. The piece we just listened to is called Shh. 
This is a portrait of an artist as a young mother. Um, this piece explores the notion of when to speak, when to move, what to say, what to do. What do you want to say as a composer? Um, I think we always want to say many, many things. So that's why we write many, many pieces. But I think for this one in particular, I was struggling, um, experimenting with physical activity. In a way, I have like this secret desire to be a stage director. But that, of course, you need like a different set of skills and everything. And so it's just a really uh, fun and um, I think intelligent way of, of getting my hands and feet a little bit wet in terms of physical theatre. And for this, I was thinking about my daughter and um, the commission came in a period where it was, she was um, very demanding in a certain sense of, of my attention and she really didn't like it when I was working. So I was like, okay, you don't like it when I'm working, I'll make a piece about you. And I think that, um, yeah, I guess fundamentally what I'm trying to, not prove, but to say uh, with my artistic life is that, you know, a composer can really come from anywhere. It can be a mom, um, yeah, doesn't have to be a white male from a certain country, maybe. Yeah. Then how would you define the, the term interpretation? Interpretation, um, I don't know. I, I, I think it functions as a filter. Like when you interpret a, a piece that is written down, it's, it's a code, it's a, a set of instructions, and the person that does it um, filters this set of instructions through their body, through their own personal um, baggage, and then out it goes. So there's always this sense of um, filtering, so interpretation, filtering. Is Webern the most influential composer in your life? Um, not really, but he is the one that, um, I mean, this piece in particular, the Opus 27, Movement 2, I think it's the one that, that really sparked my interest in, um, I, I mean, I always look, listened and looked at people when they played or sing or whatever, and it's important to me, the secret drama. But that piece, uh, when I was still studying piano, that, that piece made me realise like, oh, okay, Even then, during Weben's time, he was already thinking about choreography and he used the notation in order to control what I do as a performer. And that made me realize that I could do the same. Do you recognize this musician? <laughs> Nafi. <laughs> yeah, that's my daughter. <laughs> Is she a good interpreter? Um... No, she was just making it up. Yeah, because yeah, she's she's studying violin, Suzuki violin to be precise, and she's four, so she has to do very specific things and make really nice, beautiful sounds. Uh, try to get the bow speed right all the time, and uh, we always bring her to concerts. And she's been to work with us, so it's like, okay, what does Mama and Papa's music sound like? <laughs> and that's what she did. <laughs> What's the strangest idea for a piece you've ever had? 
I think they're no strange ideas. It's like a, a give and receive contract, you know? You know at Christmas you're going to get a present, so you jolly well get your mum another present. And um, I think if you want to receive an idea, then you have to accept first that it's not going to be strange. And then if it turns out to be not to your liking, then you can say, OK, it's strange. But yeah, don't think there's any strange ideas. Can I tell us how language influences your work? I think that language or the text itself is the DNA. And um, it's hard to get away from it because a lot of information is in it. And um, again, in this case, we talk about filtering. I would be the one filtering already what is written there. And then I set it to music or I, I do something else. I deconstruct it. Um, yeah, depends. How important is it for you to closely work together uh, with uh, the artist performing your work? Oh, it's very important. I think it's fundamental because you need to talk to them before. You need to sense who they are as people. You need to see what repertoire they've played and how they've played it and what energy they bring to the piece. What are they comfortable doing, not comfortable doing? And all these become your key points indicator as to, you know, how you structure um, what you do later. And then after you have all this information, you decide, do I want to break their habits, uh, make them really mad at me? Or do I want to break their habits, not make them mad at me? Or do I not want to do it? want to stay within the, the circle of what they're comfortable with and essentially write the piece for them so um, all these are, are part of the consideration so if and when I can which is probably 90% of the time I talk to them and I work with them and I call them um, yeah How do you work with voices? How do I work with voices? Um, I used to have some training as a singer and I would sing, basically. And sometimes I would imagine what I could do or what the singer could do if... Um, yeah, what I could do if I was a better singer. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, everything comes from the text. So I read the text out loud. I see how it feels in my mouth, in my body. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's very wide question I guess it depends on the text and, and also the singer and the voice voice type <laughs> Thank you. 
piece in particular I wrote for a friend of mine. Her name is Elie Chauvin. We had already worked on a piece before called um, Arboretum with Earcam. So I, I, I know her, I know her personality, I know what she can do. She's very good with rhythms, she's very precise. So I decided I'm going to write something precise for her and um, it helps that she's a soprano. So I know the voice a little bit better than if I were to write for a tenor. That would be so difficult. And so we just go back and forth. And I would write something and, and she'd be like, no, could you bring this uh, motif down a second? It would sit better. And I'd be like, okay, I'll do that. And then I'll try to... And we just go back and forth because I, she's a friend. So the working relation was also a little bit more intimate um, rather than an ensemble where you... you or string quartet maybe where you see them once halfway through the piece uh, and then you make changes. Um, it's less formal. You are currently working on the chamber opera, Façon Tragique de Tuer une Femme. Façon Tragique is a piece, the libretto is by Richard Dubesky, who happens to be a, a, an actor and a percussionist as well. And so we decided to write this opera where you see um, three different women. I think it started with a book, which is also called Façon Tragique de Tuer une Femme, by Nicole Laurio. And what she does is that she does this cross-section analysis of um, Greek tragic uh, heroines. And so she classified them, like who died by knife, who died by God, and uh, who died by marriage, who died because they lost their virginity. And so you see all this, um, basically it's an analysis book. But then what really caught me was that all the Greek heroine, the way they die, we don't see it on stage. And then that slowly um, went into our process, our thought process, and then uh, went into the melting pot. And now, um, in the actual uh, façon tragique uh, opera that we're doing, this idea of um, having a cross-sectional analysis and using Greek uh, heroines, it becomes like a soap opera that one of the women watches. And then it reminds us that we are still in need of uh, emancipation of women, empowering women. Now, in 2019 as in the Greek times. We have not gotten out of it. It's just transformed and it's look a little bit different. Um, but we still need to, to have the women's march and all that. Yeah. I think the electronics for this opera is more like a, a, a sort of like a sustaining element because what is really important in this opera is um, there are no musicians 
and all the music is sort of choreographed or written into the score such that every object that the singer on stage they touch becomes the music. So if they're moving a cup on the table, that is part of the music. And all this is, is what I'm trying to explore in this opera, where a lot of unsaid um, things in the body language comes forth. It's quite difficult to write, actually. So I thought that the electronics um, could help sustain um, the flow because there's only um, so much things you can do to move around the mise-en-scene um, of the opera. And it must be quite difficult for the performers yes. too. For the singers, it's, it's, it's definitely quite difficult because they have to control their body and do it in rhythm and then sing. But I guess that's what they're already doing in opera. But this time they can't cheat. So with a good stage director, I think um, every frame would be perfect, I hope. How do you silence those voices in your head to focus on your own music? Oh, that's a really tough one, yeah. Um, sophrologie. <laughs> I think it helps. And then a routine helps. I find that when I don't have my routine where I wake up, send my girl to school, come back and stand in front of my piano, I get out of whack. Yeah. And I'm not sure I want to silence the voices in my head. Thank you, Diana. Oh, thank you. This was fun. A podcast by Enoa, developed with the support of the Creative Europe Programme of the European Union.